welcome to this latest podcast in the Hollywell Trust Conversation Series. My name is Jared Dean, joined as usual by Paul Gosling. Paul, how are you? I'm very well, Jared. And yourself? Hey, dead on. Hey, dead on. Sure, we're enjoying these conversations. So, Paul, this time round on this episode, we're looking, or you're looking into the issue of environmental crime. Can you explain why this is relevant, the dairy and the Northwest? Yes, absolutely. Less than five miles from Derry city centre, just on the edge of the suburb of the waterside, sits what has been described as the largest illegal waste dump in Europe. Whether it's actually the largest, we can't be certain, but it's certainly one of the very largest. The waste dump spreads across two sides of the Maboy Road of Derry, covering 116 acres. It contains one million tonnes of rubbish that is illegally buried. While the company running the site was legally registered, as a waste disposal business. It evaded around £100 million in tax through its illegal use of the site. There are fears that toxins from the waste could spill into the adjoining river fawn, which provides some of Derry's drinking water. Until a few weeks ago, it was not possible to report properly on this scandal, though there was an official investigation into my boy by Chris Mills, the, the so-called Mills Report. There has been a long-running attempt to prosecute directors of the company, two of whom have now been convicted, which means we can now discuss my boy. A recent Radio 4 series and podcast reported in detail on this crime. Sam McBride of the Belfast Telegraph has written a series of reports on the Maboy scandal, and Sam now explains to us what shocked him most when he visited the site. Well, the central element of what I found at the dump site is that there are lots of documents there, thousands of pages which are just lying. They're not secured. The site itself is not secured. So it's technically a place where the public are not meant to be. It's under government control. There, there are um, some gates up there which are a nominal form of trying to prevent people from getting onto the site. But in reality, I just walked through a hole in the bars. Nobody stopped me. Um, I went there several times to go back and see these documents in more detail. Um, and the really surprising thing, I think the really shocking thing here, frankly, is that when I went to the police, when I went to the Stormont authorities and I said, I found these documents, I think they could be of help to you in your investigation into getting the criminals responsible for this and getting the strongest sentence against those individuals. They showed no interest in getting these. Eventually, after pressing them a few times, the Stormont Northern Ireland Environment Agency said that they had gone up and done a visual inspection and had formed the view that they didn't need to lift these documents. That is nonsense. Um, I'm not saying that they, that they didn't go, but that would have been a meaningless exercise. I knew that from having been there because lots of these are huge wads of paper that are matted together with the weather and um, having taken its toll over about a decade. You could not know what is beyond the first page with, without actually getting those off the site, carefully peeling them apart, um, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a crime which is incredibly serious in a regional sense for Northern Ireland, not just for Derry and for the people who are, who are um, most directly affected by its impact there. But there seems to be very little serious interest from the authorities, even at this stage, in getting to the bottom of what really went on there. Now, obviously, as a journalist, the paperwork is incredibly interesting and shows evidence of things that have happened in the past. But I think people listening to this will be most concerned to get a sense of the place because most people won't have been there. So they don't know the size of it and they don't know the toxicity of it. So do you want to give us a view as someone who quite recently went there for the first time? 
So this this is a a site which you can't really understand without going there, and that that's 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 not to get people to turn off at this point because I will do my best to try to explain it. But I had written about this a bit. I had listened to the Radio Four podcast on this, which was what got me really interested in it and shows the value of podcasts and some of these really um really um clear topics which might not interest people beyond a certain niche, but actually when you drill into them, um they are really really significant. But once once I went there, I suppose we we parked in in what is the middle of the site. So there are two entrances to this, one on either side of a road. Um, it straddles the, uh, the on, it, it, sorry, it, it, it really straddles both sides of the Mooboy Road. So we parked at one entrance. We then walked for, I think, something like 10 minutes, got to the far end of the site um, at, at one end of the Mooboy um, Road part of it, and then walked back to the centre of it, then went further in the other direction. And in all, this is about a mile long. Um, it is about 116 acres. That's an enormous area. To put that into some sort of context, my father was a small dairy farmer and the farm in which I grew up was 80 acres. That was an entire farm that somebody made a livelihood out of. This is a vast um, area. There are big banks on either side of this site as it borders the road. And so therefore, as you drive down this road, I think the most disconcerting thing is that you would not realise that you're in the middle of one of Europe's biggest illegal dumps. Such a such a very significant area in a European sense because it just looks like a typical country road. We know this is happening elsewhere in Northern Ireland. It has been happening and to this day it is happening. And how many times have we all driven down roads and not realised just what we're in the middle of? Those banks were formed allegedly by rubbish, then covered by a thin layer of soil. By by now they're overgrown, they just look like scrubland. Once you climb up those banks and look down in, there is what looks like a rewilding project almost. It's an area covered with scrubland, a few grow a few trees that are still fairly young but are starting to now really develop. Huge areas of ponds or um, really almost small lakes in some cases. There's wildlife there. I saw swans on the lake. There were other um, birds there. Um, and then as you go up on, on one, one of these um, sides of the road, um, there is what is known as the bubbling lake, um, a lake where the methane um, from the landfill literally to this day bubbles to the surface. And just through the fence, just just through the um, the hedge from there, there is plastic that you can see shredded plastic that had been um, taken and um, dumped into these holes at night, covered over um, for for many many years. That is getting through into an area where where there are livestock being grazed, where there are crops being grown. But that's what we can see. The stuff that we can't see, we know from what Stormont's engineers have done on their behalf in terms of test drilling into this site that there are massive problems in terms of all sorts of chemicals, all sorts of metals, all sorts of very um, toxic materials that they have discovered. You can't see those with the naked eye, but what you can see is pretty disgusting and pretty concerning. There's no exclusion zone around this. There's no sense that this is a highly toxic site. This just looks like a bit of um, a, a, a really former, um, former, um, farmer's industrial site which has been left to grow a bit wild and that's it and people are clearly wandering through it there's been drinking there there's there's teenage graffiti there and um, so this is a very concerning picture okay so that was sam mcbride of the belfast telegraph but paul it isn't the only example of environmental crime in our area no um well in fact if you walk or drive around any of the country roads surrounding the city you'll see examples of household and commercial rubbish just dumped on the hedgerows mm. and there have been 
a number of allegations of firms that have been paid to legally dispose of rubbish, but instead having taken them across the border into Donegal and dumping them illegally there. So it's quite a problem across the whole of the region. It's also worth stressing that because some of these waste firms have been licensed, it's not necessarily the fault of their clients when they find out that their rubbish has been illegally dumped. Now, ironically, the PSNI was one of those clients whose non-confidential waste ended up at Maboy. Anyway, I spoke to June Huang, who was actually in Korea at the time, so that's a first for us, and his Queen's University PhD dissertation was on environmental crime, which is his speciality. Now, he focused specifically on issues raised by the Maboy dump, and he argues that Maboy represents more than an environmentally damaging crime, but it actually, in his view, is symbolic of and the result of sectarianized government at Stormont where concern for the environment has been sidelined. Anyway, let's listen to June's views. I focused on the Millboy illegal dump, which is known to the public as one of the largest illegal dump sites in Europe. Uh, however, my research is not, did not end at just criticizing the stormant, failing its people, but I also tried to draw discussions on how this peace in Northern Ireland, which has been achieved and strengthened by its people, can go forward. So I suggested that Northern Ireland should depart from sectarian party politics and neoliberal development, such as industrialized farming, and make its way forward uh, towards a green state. And I mean, green state is uh, comprised of political institutions that ensure a clean environment as a basic human right, which comes before private property rights. And also, I think uh, the green state will have to respect the planet for its own right so that uh, we build a conciliatory relationship with nature. And this is the essence of socially and ecologically sustainable peace, uh, which I see uh, it challenges peace captured by sectarianism and neoliberalism in Northern Ireland. And my, my thesis also highlighted that the Gathering, which is a grassroots environmental organization in the Northwest, uh, in Northern Ireland, is actually a driving force of this idea of sustainable peace. You've looked a lot internationally at environmental crime. To what extent do you think that is actually a threat to our ecosystems and a significant problem? Environmental crime is a lucrative industry, to be honest. So it's a huge global challenge, but also it's an attractive instrument for profit making uh, for criminal groups. Uh, last year, uh, illegal waste trafficking itself created almost 12 billion US dollars of profits. Where profits are made by illegal waste dumping, it means there are victims who are uh, even not aware of what is going on around uh, their neighborhood. The mobile dump site was also the case to this. People in Derry did not, and still some of people in Derry uh, are not aware of what's going on in the mobile illegal dump. Uh, globally, uh, countries with weaker environmental law and also a lack of environmental enforcement are vulnerable to environmental crime. But at the domestic level, local communities with poor access to justice and information are often victimized by uh, different patterns of environmental crime. Uh, those environmental crime as injuries to harms 
So it adds environmental inequalities to social economic inequalities uh, in societies. Uh, but they often, but environmental crime uh, and criminal groups, uh, they often utilize loopholes in the legal system very well. As far as I know, the owners of the mobile site also had a license. They had a legal license for waste processing. Now, June also explained that the level of punishments for environmental crime, at least in his view, are inadequate. So let's hear him again. So there is a difference between the criminal law and the environmental law, uh, which causes a gap between the reality of environmental damage and the level of punishment. And this was also highlighted uh, in the Mills report, which analyzed waste crime in Northern Ireland, saying that the level of punishment sentencing is very low in Northern Ireland, which uh, contributes to opportunities that can be enjoyed by criminal groups. Okay, so that was June Huang. And his dissertation on Mumbai will be published later this year. And I imagine some listeners will want to uh, to dig that out and read it. Mm. So you mentioned the, the local environmental action group, The Gallery, and, and you also spoke to one of its members. Yeah, I spoke with uh, Dean Blackwood, who who's a member of The Gathering. He's also himself, by profession, a planner. And he's also one of the most respected figures in Ireland in addressing the impact of environmental harm. Now, I asked Dean why we have such a problem with environmental crime? A serious concern I would have is, in fact, what led to the, or what allowed my boy to happen in the first instance. And that is the um, unregulated minerals extraction. For instance, because what you have at my boy is, is vast holes that were allowed to be dug in the ground, essentially, that became the repositories for a million plus tons of illegal waste. And our minerals industry in Northern Ireland despite many claims to the contrary that it's well regulated, has been out of control for many, many years. And whilst you could argue that it's not criminal at the at the, the, initial, the initial sense, in that uh, it's not illegal to start quarrying without planning permission, once enforcement action is taken, um, then that can become criminal offences. But what we have seen across Northern Ireland, particularly, is a, a systemic failure to tackle the rapacious extractivism essentially because of the i suppose the alignment with government with big business and um, my boy is just one sort of symptom of that um because you maybe might note in the mills report that enforcement action wasn't taken because of the emphasis that was put on the economy and jobs and that happens all along uh northern ireland and particularly in regard to the minerals, minerals industry so Ultimately, there, there are many aspects of both the criminality that can happen around illegal dumping, around minerals extraction, whatever, but very often that criminal activity is facilitated by weak government. And I'm, again, I'm sorry to go back to Bavoy, but um, that, that's uh, very clear in the, the motion that was passed in 2014 calling for a public inquiry into illegal waste crime in Northern Ireland, because one of the elements of that uh, motion also called on the role that planning in Northern Ireland plays in facilitating environmental crime. And what we're saying here, Dean, is there's two elements of environmental crime. 
One is that there are things that we might regard informally as being criminal, which are not actually made illegal under the laws of this place. But secondly, there's not actual effective regulation. And the two things go hand in hand. Now, what type of lack of enforcement do you see happening in Northern Ireland? Well, it's it's particularly um, the fact that very often an enforcement case might be opened, but uh, it will never be formally followed through. And what I mean by that is that enforcement notices are served. One of, so one of the main problems here is that planning has a discretion whether or not to enforce. And when they use that discretion not to enforce, for example, in one of the biggest unauthorized developments, probably in the history of the British Isles, if not more so, uh, on a, the Loch Ness, where they used the discretion not to enforce against um, sand extraction that was taking place at a regional scale, that in itself could be argued as potentially criminal, not from the perspective of the operators who are being allowed to carry out that uh, activity without regulation, but from the perspective of the civil servants or perhaps the ministers who take that decision, because if you know that you are acting in breach of the law and you act anyway, that could be considered to be misconduct in a public office. So in terms of the um, the breaches that take place on major issues in and around either Maboy or Loch Ness or the two classic examples, but there are many more. What we could be looking at here is potential criminal activity within the um, regulating authorities by not complying with the law in the first instance and, and taking enforcement. And it's, it's interesting to note, uh, and, and the both the Maboy story and the Loch Ness story tend not to highlight this, but up until very recently, uh, the, the United Kingdom member state faced potential infraction proceedings for failures of regulation in Northern Ireland. Um, and that was, that was a pilot case opened by the European Commission back in 2014 after um, River Fochan Anglers, in fact, lodged a complaint as indeed did a number of others uh, around Northern Ireland. Um, and that was entitled Environmental Enforcement in, in Northern Ireland, the, the complaint that was opened. And that only closed in October 2021. And it was closed specifically by the European Commission because the um, of the, the United Kingdom leaving the European Union. But what was interesting in that pre-closure letter was that the European Commission were saying we were not satisfied that the UK, as in, i.e., the, the Northern Ireland Regulatory Authority and Planning Authorities, have properly addressed compliance with environmental law here. Uh, and that suggests to me that had we not exited the European Union, the UK may well have been facing significant legal action and, and potentially massive fines from the Court of Justice of the European Union because of the ongoing systemic failure of planning and environmental regulation here in Northern Ireland. Now, I wonder, Dean, whether there's an underlying problem here that the public don't take environmental crime sufficiently seriously. 
there is this sense that it's just not taken sufficiently seriously either by politicians or else by the public that would then put pressure on politicians. There absolutely is, Paul. Um, I was astounded to find that <clears throat> when my boy broke that many people in Derry years after, in fact, there are probably still people in Derry that still don't know about my boy. And in conversations I've had recently with um, people in Belfast that you would have expect that are involved in the environmental movement, they have no real knowledge of my boy either. Um, so you're absolutely right. The, the public don't take environmental crime seriously. And that's maybe a, a symptom of, a, of a, <clears throat> a wider problem in that our regulatory authorities don't take it seriously, or very often, in fact, the public believe that things are legal because they see them happening and they and they just assume that, well, that couldn't happen if it wasn't being properly regulated. But I think we, we can come to uh, accept now that our, regulator, our regulatory authorities are not there to protect the environment, that they're, they're there to regulate its destruction, and they do that very badly. But also, then, when we have the sentencing of environmental crimes, Northern Ireland has been particularly poor in setting down a marker as to how serious these issues are. And that's maybe because the courts themselves tend not to um, <clears throat> have a a good understanding of of environmental issues where our judges are dealing with sort of serious criminal actions murders and whatever else but also then having to sit down and and try and get their heads around complex environmental and planning problems in the, in terms of when they're delivering sentencing and that tends not to be uh reflected then in the the sentences that are handed down here in the northern ireland and there's vast amounts of money to be made out of environmental crime I mean, that is the problem, and that's why the Mafia is heavily involved in it in Italy and why it is actually a major income generator for organised criminal gangs. Absolutely, and, and it should be a warning to us as well, because if, if anyone that has listened to the Buried programme, and I understand that it has now surpassed a million downloads, and that's not counting the um, listeners that uh, actively listened to it when it was broadcast in January and February, you're talking about the Radio 4 podcast. Radio 4 podcast, yeah. But the fact is that what it was showing is the the serious effects that could happen here if we don't take it seriously that are already happening in uh, Italy, where it's not now just about pollution and damage to the environment, but it's, it's a serious health problem that uh, is, is causing great sickness uh, in many communities that are um, impacted by the the vast illegal dumps in and around the area that um, the investigators visited. Okay, thanks to Dean for some very revealing insights there. Uh, Paul, you looked around the Maboy site for yourself. Yeah, that's right. As part of the research for this podcast, I did that, and I found that the security on the site is is very mediocre. It's very easy just to to walk in and walk around. Now, in fact, as I said earlier, so. On both sides of the Mavoy Road, uh, two different sites of uh, problems. Uh, neither half of the site, which you know, is quite a, spread an awful way. Neither of them is properly closed off, and one side of the road is supposedly available to be let, according to a sign on the on the gate. Now, that seems strange, uh, but actually we have very little knowledge of what's in the site, except it's you know it doesn't look great. What we can say is that both parts of the site are huge. 
There's a lot of debris across the surface areas and the graffiti suggests that young people are going in and visiting it for fun, probably for drinking. I should also add that we still haven't got a plan in place for how it's going to be cleaned up, that we are expecting a cleanup is likely to cost hundreds of millions of pounds. And it has already derailed plans for the recently upgraded A6 from Belfast to come in at Maydown and Grantshire rather than as it does ending at Drummerhoe. Okay, well, lots to ponder there, and it's like the worst time ever to be looking for hundreds of millions of pounds for anything. Um, but that's it for this episode. So thanks to Dean, June, Sam, and Paul, and of course thanks to the Community Relations Council, which has funded the whole Hollywell Trust conversation series. So a wee reminder that the whole series can be listened to on our website with previous editions, um, hearing from, them, from those who were inside the rooms when the Good Friday Agreement was negotiated that was our first one our second edition our second second episode we heard concern and anger about the funding of the voluntary and community sector locally and and our most recent podcast we considered the uk government proposal to amend human rights legislation and how it, it might affect us here in northern ireland but that's it for now i hope you catch up with previous episodes as well and we'll talk to you again next time